Praise the Lord, everybody. My, it's good to be in here this morning. Feel such a fresh touch of God. Heard some great preaching last night. And, um, man, you're just, you're just eating high on the hog, if you please. You're eating awful good. Good to have my wife here with me. Appreciate her. And uh, she, somebody said she's a better preacher than I am. I don't know. It wouldn't take much, but she's awful good. She's awful good. I love her. I appreciate being here. Appreciate these great men of God that's allowed me to come. And, and um, I just feel very honored. And I know, I know you've paid a lot of money to come to this camp. And uh, I've not taken the opportunity that you've allotted me for granted, but I've sought God and asked God to help me to be sensitive to the needs of this camp. Not only do we have young people here, but we got adults here, and we got preachers here. And uh, so I didn't bring a lot of notes with me. I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to go there and pray and see what God does. It speaks to me, and I feel like the Lord has spoken to me. And um, I want you to go with me today to the book of Acts, chapter 12. Appreciate Brother McKillop. I love Brother Sister McKillop and Jaron, and um, love them very much. Great people. Just glad to be here. Brother Holt, Brother Bass. Brother Reap, Brother Pageant, God bless you, all you other great ministers. God is good. Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also then were the days of unleavened bread, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. When Herod would have brought him forth, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself. And bind on thy sandals, and so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out, and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came into an iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out, passed on through one street, 
and forthwith the angel departed from him. I've preached from this subject before, but when I read this yesterday, my spirit got stuck on that iron gate. It just seems like that the Holy Ghost is wanting to say something to us today about going a little bit farther than the iron gate. If you would, I want you to put your Bibles down. I want you to lift both hands in the air. I want you to let out a shout of praise. God, and you can be seated in Jesus' name. The Bible said Herod was stretching himself to vex the church, a church that had been born of water and spirit, a church that came out of an upper room speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance, a church that was changing their world, a church that saw the ascension of Jesus, descension of the Holy Ghost, and became the extension of the hands of God to a lost and dying world. And Herod wanted to vex certain of the church, those that were close to him, those he could take hold of, the leadership. He wanted to take hold of Pastor Peter and James and he wanted to take hold of certain of the church. The Bible said he wanted to trouble them. He wanted to distress them. He wanted to afflict them emotionally, spiritually, physically. He killed James. And now he saw that that pleased the Jews and he took Peter. Thinking that if I can get the preacher of Pentecost, if I can get the Acts 238 man himself, lock him up, take his head, kill him, then I could stop a born-again experience. I could stop people from being baptized into this body of believers. He said, if I could kill the preacher, I could kill the church. I could take hold of the church. I could kill Pentecost. I could kill the preacher. I could kill baptism and Holy Ghost infilling, evidence speaking in other tongues. And you know, I still believe that speaking in tongues is the initial sign of the Holy Ghost. I believe that. If I could kill the preacher, I would just kill it all. I will kill it all. As the Bible says he killed... James, and now he's taking Peter. The Bible tells us that when he apprehended him, he put him in prison. And there he had four quaternions of soldiers, 16 men guarded him. 
And he had two that he had beside him he was chained to. Then the others watched the doors and guarded him very, very strongly, not wanting Peter to get loose because Pentecost may get loose. So they delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. And the Bible says that Herod, thinking that if you killed Peter, he kills everything that Pentecost is, he failed to remember one thing. That this church is not built on a man. That the church is built on Christ Jesus, who is the solid rock, who is the firm foundation, who is the chief cornerstone. And the Bible says that when Peter was locked up, Herod thought he had already done all he could do except for the execution. But the night before the execution, there was a church that went to prayer. Thank God for a praying church. The Bible said Peter was therefore kept in prison. The man of God was locked up, physically chained up. The Bible said but. Everybody say but. But. In other words, except for the fact. He was locked up, but except for the fact. Prayer was being made without ceasing. In other words, it don't matter if he's locked up or not. If prayer's going on, something's about to change. It don't matter if you're in depression today or not. It don't. If prayer is going on, there's going to be an exception to the fact. You've got to understand that prayer is not just a Pentecostal protocol, but it's the lifeline of people that are serving God. It's the lifeline of the church. The Bible said, if my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. He said, then I'm going to heal their land. We need prayer meetings that are going to humble us. And we need prayer meetings that are going to turn us. We try to keep walking the same way, calling on a God that's holy, but living an unholy life can't happen. Prayer has got to be mixed with the purity of heart and the purity of desire and motive. And when God sees humility and when God sees a turning, God said, I'll start healing. You know, we're not far from a great healing a move of God in this house right now. We're not far from that. I'm not a faith healer by no means. I'm not a faith healer in any, in any sort of the word. But I do believe in the supernatural move of God. And I do believe in healing. I believe God can heal heart disease. I believe he can heal blood disease. I believe he can heal cancer. Let me back up. I've seen God heal heart disease. I've seen God heal blood disease. I've seen God heal cancer. I've seen God, I've seen God lengthen legs. I know God is a healer. And God is able to make whole. I believe that. And I believe it all comes from prayer. I believe it comes from prayer. I believe there's some sicknesses that are unto death. And then there's some sicknesses that are unto torment. 
and persecution. I believe if the devil would be allowed to, he would put sickness on every one of us just to lock up our praise, lock up our worship, lock up our love for God. But I want you to know God said when the enemy comes in like a flood, he said, I'll lift up a standard if you'll call on me. If locust is upon you, my people humble themselves and pray. If there's judgment upon you, if my people will humble themselves and pray. If there's a curse of the adversary, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. I'm telling you, prayer is stronger than hell. Prayer is stronger than disease. Prayer is stronger than sickness. Prayer is stronger than addiction. Prayer is stronger than the government. If my people... Prayer. Somebody just shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Prayer was made of the church without ceasing. <laughs> without ceasing. Not five minutes. But they prayed. They didn't mumble. The greatest enemy of the church is silence. Man, where, where did we get mumbling prayers? Where did we get this... This mental telepathy thing where we sit around and just kind of do like that. Never say, I don't mind that if you're meditating. But man, do you meditate all the time? There's got to be some prayer that's made. There's got to be something burning on the inside of us that desires to let God know we believe in Him and we trust in Him. Prayer. Can we lift our hands? Let's praise Him. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer moves mountains. Prayer opens up red seas. Prayer gives you better jobs. Prayer puts your broken marriage back together. Prayer brings in sinners. Prayer helps the backslider to find their way back home. Prayer, fervent, effectual. Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word fervent brings in the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. Three times he prayed. As if great drops of blood came out of his pores, poured to the ground. His prayers were not mumbled. His prayers were spoken loudly and fervently. He prayed fervently. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. That word fervent means 212 degrees. Whenever you put water on a stove and it hits 200 and 12 degrees Fahrenheit. It changes states. 
It leaves the liquid form and goes into a vapor form. That's what that word means. When we pray fervently, our prayer takes on a different nature. It leaves the natural. It leaves the liquid form, if you please. And it becomes a heavenly sound in the ears of God. Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When I pray, I don't pray to quit. I pray to see a breakthrough. When I pray, I don't pray to give up. I pray till I see a breakthrough. We know prayer brings moves of God. Why don't we pray? If we know prayer moves mountains, why don't we pray? Prayer changes everything about the environment that's around you. It changes the attitude of your boss. It changes You walk into a church that's dead, find yourself a corner and begin to pray. Something will loosen up in a minute. You got to pray. Young people, you got to pray. You're not too young to pray. I was 16 years, 17 years old when I started going to church faithfully. Didn't know how to pray. Brother Puckett would pray with the young people. At 12 o'clock on Sunday, service started at 2. And a lot of times we didn't even get out of prayer meeting till after 2. We would stagger into the service. And man, a lot of times there wouldn't be preaching. That service would go on with people getting the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we would be there as young people from 12 o'clock to 7 o'clock at night. And it all started in prayer. Didn't know how to pray. I just got in church, but I'd listen to Brother Puckett. Brother Puckett would say, man, he had a deep voice. And he'd say, oh, God. He said, I want you to move on so-and-so. And I'd say, oh, God, I want you to move on so-and-so. He'd say, oh, God, heal so-and-so's body. I'd say, oh, God, heal so-and-so's body. One day he said, oh, God. Touch Ron Tiller. I said, oh, God, touch Ron Tiller. But from that, I learned how to touch God. From that, I learned how to find a place of prayer. From that, I learned that I wasn't done praying in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour. From that, I learned how to dwell in the presence of God. And from that... I learned how to be sensitive to the voice of God, the mind of God, the will of God. Hey, folks, you can't find the will of God if we don't pray. Oh, yeah. And here we've got the devil locking up the preacher. 
Peter didn't seem to let it bother him. He slept between two soldiers. <laughs> and they thought they were stopping the church. They didn't realize that the church wasn't Peter, but the church was in prayer. My, when a church prays. Bible said, you know, there was a movement going around here a few years ago, and I've not heard much about it, but a lot of people going around commanding angels, and man, they just crazy stuff. That's Ron Tiller's opinion. Okay? If your pastor believes different, that's his opinion. He could go and preach that. But I want to tell you something, you don't command angels. God commands angels. We pray. When we pray, we don't say, Angel Gabriel, Michael, go here, go there, do this, do that. Oh, no, no, no. You pray in Jesus' name. Let God do the commanding. But when you pray, I will tell you this. There will be angelic activity going on. When you pray, angels are going to respond to the voice of God when he responds to the voice of his people. There's going to be angels move in situations that you never thought possible. I remember a few years. Can I just take my time right now? I just really feel like just taking my time. A few years ago, me and my wife just got married. I got laid off from my job, and uh, she worked at the hospital. We lived in an apartment, didn't have no children. And, uh, man, we didn't have no money, didn't have hardly no food. And uh, we didn't go around mully grubbing. If you, if you, you know, if you do that, then that's up to you. But we just pray and believe God. If we didn't have food, we just fast, I guess. But we just went on. And and one morning she went to work, and the uh, the uh, the man that owned our apartments, he told us, Mr. Thompson, he said, Now, Ron, I've got a plumber that I'm bringing over sometime today. And he says, Is That okay? I said, Sure, I'll be home. So Connie left for work about 8 o'clock, and I started praying as soon as she left. We didn't, our unemployment check was backed up six weeks, and I just got off the phone, and they said, it's going to be a while. Your unemployment checks ain't going to be there for at least another two weeks. So I'm backed up six weeks, and it's not going to be another two weeks, and we don't have no food hardly and nothing like that. So I just started praying. Man, I prayed and prayed, sought God, loved God, worshiped God. Then I heard the door open, and I thought, man, it must be 11 o'clock. Connie must be home for lunch. And so I just kept on praying. And then a few minutes later, I heard the door close again. So I get up after a little while, and I call my wife. I said, babe, did you come home for lunch? She said, oh, no. She said, I'm too busy. Can't get home for lunch today. And I said, oh, okay. And so I called Mr. Thompson. And I said, did you come over with the plumber? He said, oh, no. He said, the plumber can't make it today, Ron. There was only three people who had a key to that house. That was me, Sister Tiller, and the man that owned it. So I ran down to the mailbox, opened up that mailbox, and six unemployment checks were laying in that box. Now, I don't know about you. You can say what you want. But I know that when people pray, there's going to be an angelic work. Yeah. 
say we're not like Baptist or Methodist or Catholic. We believe in the supernatural work of God. I was preaching a few years ago in Reynoldsburg, and I uh, don't know why this happened, have no clue, but I was preaching. There were several people there that day, and uh, I was just preaching, and I backed up, and I felt a hand touch me right there, and I'm telling you, it was that forceful. It was just like that, and man, I felt such a touch of God on me, and I thought, man, somebody must be sick. They want pastor to pray for them. I turn around, nobody's there. I look over to the left, nobody's there. To the right, platform, platform was clean. So when church got done, a man from the left corner came up and said, Pastor, you know when you stopped preaching and looked around? And I said, yeah. He said, I saw a flash of light go by you off to your left. And I thought, well, you know what? Man, that's good. And then about that time he walks away, another man from the far right came up and said, Pastor, you know when you stopped preaching that moment? I said, yeah. He said, I saw a flash of light go off to your right. I don't know why God did that, but all I know is this. When a man of God's living right, when a man of God's preaching right, he can expect an angelic move of God in his life. I want you to know, man of God, when you preach, you don't preach alone. When you work, you don't work alone. When you counsel, you don't counsel alone. And the Bible said that when they prayed, the angel came down, came down into that jail. Notice, angels went to the point of the prayer. Wherever the prayer was being called out, whatever need it was, that's where the angel went. Peter's locked up. Come on, Peter. You're in a bad place today, bud. I need a chair. Bring that chair out here, please. There you go. Hold on. You know when soldiers lock somebody up in jail, they just don't say, oh, bud, be careful there, you know. They say, hey, dude, get in the chair. And they locked him up, put chains on him, and all of a sudden prayer is being made. And the angel of the Lord flies into that jail. And man, as soon as he gets there, these guys go into some kind of a trance. Don't know what's going on. And there's light that shines up. My, my, my. How many times has a man of God worked and preached and found himself in a dark place and felt like he's locked up? Can't find a word from the Lord. All you know to do is just preach. I want to tell you, brethren, I've gone to the pulpit with nothing more than just a scripture because I refuse to go to the pulpit with a message from a book, with a message from some other type of... I'm not going to do that. God's big enough to pastor his church. Sometimes I may start walking in darkness, but pretty soon there'll be a light shine.
thing is, the sad part about all this is that ministry does get locked up. We get locked up so tight and the only voice we hear is that of those that hold us captive. In the book of Isaiah, I wish I knew the scripture. It talks about the servant. Speaking of Jesus Christ, the servant says, Is it for naught? Everything I've done, is it for naught? And then all of a sudden, the servant says, But God knoweth the end. I wish I could preach without tears. Is it for naught? Man, you preach and preach and preach. And then some, some precious soul comes in and acts like an idiot and drives out new converts. People you love and die for. You, man, can, can I preach to you, Pastor, for a minute? Thank you. Man, you work hard building the church. Then somebody comes in, acts stupid, don't have a clue, don't have a care could care less about the church. They're just caring about themselves. Selfishness, selfishness. I wish Calvary would mark more of us with selflessness. And then we get locked up and we try to get up in the pulpit and preach with passion, Brother McKillop. But man, when you look around and you see in everything that you've died for and worked for, man, you wonder, is it for naught? Is it for naught? Have I done all this for naught? No doubt the servant said, my healing, I healed blinded eyes. Was that for naught? I raised the dead. Was that for naught? And then he stopped and he said, you know what? But God knoweth the end. God knoweth the end. I want to tell you something. I preach and I preach as hard as I can preach. Every time I preach because I know God knoweth the end. I don't know what's about to happen, but I know what's going to happen. I know God's going to bring victory. I know God's going to bring revival. And I know God is going to bring it to its perfect end. That angel, when that angel comes in here. Get up, man. Get up, get up. I need a preacher. I, I feel the Holy Ghost. Come here, brother. I got you. You better save your energy. You may have to pull me out of this. And that angel comes in there, and that preacher is so despondent right now. He's asleep. Somebody said he's comfortable. Even though he's about to die. Man, I believe there's some assurance in that. But man, I kind of wondering. He said, I just got done preaching the message. 3,000 got the Holy Ghost. And he said, now God's going to take me. Man, that don't make sense, does it? Don't make sense at all. I just had great revival. Now I'm sick in my body. That don't make sense, does it? Just don't make God just something. Sometimes don't make sense to us. But his ways are far above our ways. So he comes into that prison, light shines, and he says, I got, I got to do this, but hold. He said, get up, Peter. And Peter said, well, no, 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 I ain't what he did. He said, get up. And he said, arise up quickly. And when he got up quickly, chains fell off. Hey, 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 hey. You know why some of us are still walking around locked up? 
because we haven't got up yet. We need to get up. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And it's critical. It's critical for a man of God. When he gets knocked down, when he gets in prison, he's got to get up quick. He's got to get up quick. There's got to be a church that prays him up quick. Lock my preacher up. I need my preacher. I need my preacher. He's going to preach to me when he's wounded. He's going to preach to me when he's broken. He's going to preach to me when he's hurting. He's going to preach to me when his family's going through junk. You got to expect, you expect him to get up and preach to him when he's got open, gaping wounds in his spirit. And you expect him to preach. Preach, and that's his job. He's got to preach. God knows every wound that's in him. God knows every mental turmoil he's going through. But God said, you just preach the word. And you be instant in season and out of season. I know there's going to be times you're going to feel like you're in prison. But you've got to get up. God don't just anoint us to preach the word. He anoints us to get up. Let's lay and raise our hands. Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. We need angels to move in this house. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up quick, get up quick, get up quick. The remedy from removal of chains in your life is to get up quick. If you want to be set free from the chains of an adversary, you got to get up quick. You can't just lay there. The longer you lay there, the harder it's going to be for you to get up. But when you fall, you get right back up and you... And when they put the chains on you, they won't stay. Because when I get up, chains have got to fall off. When I get up, chains have got to... No wonder we lift our hands. That's a sign to hell. No chains. Loosen some. Some of us today, Israel's in bondage, Egyptian bondage. They're locked up, man. The only time they're unchained is when they go to the slime pits. Some of them had chains on them. Some of them's wrists were about rotted off from the fetters, the chains. And when they came out of Egyptian bondage, the Bible said there was none feeble among them. Psalm says that. Unfeeble. They were sickly in Egypt. They were broken in Egypt. 
when they came out under the blood. I heard, a, I, I can't remember, somebody said that. When they came out under the blood, man, there had to be some wholeness. Something happened when the Bible said no feeble. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, when those chains came off their hands and they felt the strength of the power of the blood, man, they clapped their hands. It sounded, it sounded like the clatter of chains falling to the ground. And they rejoiced over no more chains. They rejoiced over no... What holds us back from prayer? Chains. What holds us back from worship? Chains. What holds us back from the will of God? Chains. Chains. There's got to be the breaking of chains in our life. Don't you clap your hands. That's what it sounds like. Oh, come on, you need to clap them. says you can be seated get your clothes on we'll take you out of here notice the angel takes him past the first and the second ward but he don't take him no further he brings him to the iron gate a gate that nobody ever escaped from a gate that had been locked and there was no key it was a gate of impossibility. I'll never go any farther than this. Because now he woke up, he thought he was in a trance. And now reality strikes him when he gets to that iron gate. And you know, you just stepped out of some, some dangerous things in your ministry and your walk with God or as a saint of God. You're coming out of that prison, you're dropping off the chains. But now you get to this certain point. You go through the first word, the second word, And now you come to an iron gate. And the devil says, you've never been past that before. Been past that before. So what do you do when you come to an iron gate? I got a lady in my church. I went to the Lord 20-some years ago through a Bible study. She was mean as a viper. I'm telling you, she was. Man, I remember the last time, one of the last times we was in Bible study, before she got the Holy Ghost, she stuck her finger on my nose. She said, I'll never get the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. That's what she said. And I said, well, we'll see. About five days later, she comes staggering down the aisle that talking in tongues. And she's still in church today. But she had had an abortion years before. And uh, she told me, she said, Pastor, she says, when I start worshiping, when I start praying, I only go so far and then it comes up. And she said this. She just made this statement. She says, like a big gate. And it won't let me through. And she said, all of a sudden, my mind goes back to that abortion. And she said, what do I do when I get to that gate? What do I do when I get to that place? And I don't think I can go on any farther. And I told her. I said, when Peter 
came to the iron gate and realized this is real and I don't know how to get through it. God just told him to keep on walking. And when he kept on walking, the gate opened up on its own accord. What's been keeping you back from the will of God, from the victory of God, from the power of God, from the healing of God, from the deliverance of God, from the emotional healing of God, is just an iron gate. And all you had to do, instead of being paralyzed by the fear of it, just keep on walking toward it. And it was going to open up on its own accord. I'm telling us, we're only five minutes away from the greatest move of God in our life. Five minutes away if you just keep on walking. Somebody said, if I'm going to come out, I'm going to have to just shout my way out. No, you, there's some things you can't just shout your way out. I heard a young man say last week that when they went around Jericho six days and six on the seventh day, that there's more walking done than there was shouting. Sometimes you just got to walk. Sometimes you got to walk when you don't feel like it. Sometimes you got to preach when you don't feel like it. Sometimes you got to praise when you don't feel like it and pray when you don't feel like it. Sometimes you just need to keep on walking and the gate will open up on its own accord if you just keep on walking. The government says you got to govern your way out of this prison. The legislature said you got to legislate your way out. Doctors said you got to medicate your way out. The tobacco company says you smoke your way out. The world says you party your way out. Some in the church say you got to dance your way out. But God says you just simply walk your way out. Every day. One foot in front of the other. Jesus said, you go tell that old fox. I'm healing the blind. I'm raising the dead. Today, tomorrow, on the third day. And he said, tell him I'm still walking. I'm not running. I'm not afraid of a situation. I'm just walking five minutes away from the greatest touch of God. Years ago, and I'm about done, I read a story about Gerald Ford, how that when he took over after Nixon was impeached, He took over after Nixon was impeached. The man Russia had come against them with threats. Steel Curtain's going to be stronger than ever. We're going to dictate what goes on over here in the Cold War. Cuba said, you stay out of our country or we'll bomb you and leave us alone. In America, inflation was unbelievable. Just crazy inflation. And he had a council meeting. Sixty-some council members came. There was a man that was in that council room. I can't remember his name. I wish I could. But he'd sit under John F. Kennedy. He'd sit under Lyndon B. Johnson. He'd sit under Nixon. And now he is President Ford, part of his council. 
They went around that whole room. And this elder just sat back there with his arms crossed, never said a word. Finally, when everybody had spoken, President Ford said, Sir, he said, I would really like to hear what you have to say about this. Cleared his voice. He said, President Ford, you're five minutes away from being the greatest president this world has ever known. Everybody laughed under the cloud that he sat in that chair with. He said, no, sir, I'm very, very serious, five minutes. He said, well, sir, explain yourself. He said, if you'll get on national television tonight and if you'll tell Russia that if they lift up their finger and make one more accusation against America, that you'll be over there in full force and you'll shut their mouth for good. And if you'll tell Cuba that if they keep on talking and threatening, that you'll be down there and, and they will be nothing more than a speck in the ocean. And if you'll tell, tell America it's time to tighten your belts and not live so high on the hog, and we're going to bring this budget back in perspective, and we're going to get this economy straightened out. He said, Mr. President, you're five minutes away from being the greatest president. Some of us are five minutes away from the greatest victory and clarity of the will of God that we've ever had. If you'll tell the devil, devil, I'm not going to sit in this prison no more. I'm a man of God. I'm a saint of God. I'm a young person of God. I may hurt. I may bleed. I may be rejected. I may be ridiculed. I may be laughed at. But I'm not going to live in a prison no more. And if you'll get up real quick from that decision, those chains are going to fall off. That's held you down. Some of you young people have been locked up over some things that don't amount to a hill of beans. And if you'll tell your flesh in the same moment, flesh, you are not the dictator of my life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. If you'll tell your flesh that and make up your mind, I'm not going to let it be dictated to. And then if you tell everybody in this church right now, I love y'all, but you're not going to put peer pressure on me. I've come here to go past an iron gate I wonder how many teenagers we preach to that's had immoral issues that locks them up. I mean, we talked about this last night. I wonder how many teenagers I got here, young people I got here that saw things, thought things, heard things, done things that you know were not right, and guilt and shame 
hang on you like a cloak. If you can get past that iron gate, the will of God will be revealed to you. And God will remove the guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Where are you going? I'm just walking out. What are you walking out of? I'm walking out of despair. I'm walking out of dejection. I'm walking out of discouragement. I'm just going to walk out. Herod wants to vex the church. But God says, if I can get you on the other side of that iron gate, the greatest revival this world has ever known is going to be waiting on you over there. As a young man, revival. Man, when somebody say revival, I would burn with that. When somebody would say, we want to have church and revival, tear hell upside down. When somebody says, somebody's going to get the Holy Ghost tonight, I would say, you better believe it. Because there's a church that's praying. There's a ministry that's coming out. And there's an iron gate that's getting ready to open up. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about me and Sister Tiller. Eight years ago, we went back to our home church. My home church split over standards. I went back, I left a good church, a good church, to take a split, which I hate splits. These people wanted holiness. The pastor took the church, was charismatic. My heart got involved in this. So we go back. We don't go back to the same Carrollton we left. The same Carrollton we left, man, was, man, it was peace. No turmoil. Man, when we got back there, something had changed in that city. Strongholds of drugs. Carrollton per capita. We've got more industry. Except for Jefferson County, Carroll County has more industry. And yet we have more unemployment than almost any other county in Kentucky. Our schools, with all this industry and taxes coming, should be some of the best, and they're the worst. Eighth, tenth, and twelfth graders per capita. We have more teenage pregnancy more alcohol addiction and more drug addiction in those grades than any other county in Kentucky. Stronghold. And you preach and you preach and you think, when is this thing going to break? And the Lord just reaffirms to me, you just keep on preaching. You just keep on preaching. Sometimes it's not the people you need to preach to. Sometimes it's the pews you need to preach to. Prophesy to the wind, O oh son of man. You want the mountain to be gone, preach to the mountain. Sometimes you got to preach to sickness. And sometimes you got to preach to situations. Sometimes it ain't just people you preach to. But the main thing is you preach. 
and you preach unfettered. And when you just keep on preaching and walking, every gate you thought was no way in the world that iron gate's ever going to get open. But I'm telling you what I'm looking for. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I preach, I pray, I teach Bible studies. We teach Bible studies. We seek God. We want moves of God. We just keep on keeping on. And one of these days, we're just going to walk. And without even realizing that there's going to be a gate open up. And we're going to step out of the normal. And we're going to step into the supernatural. Five minutes. Somebody to make up their mind. I'm not going to let my prison, my preacher live in prison. And I'm not going to let my God go unglorified. My flesh is not in control. Preach. I preach. Went to Reynoldsburg. Had 50 people. And it was charismatic. When I tell you it was charismatic, it was charismatic. Million over a million dollar debt. Man, it was a booger. Pardon the expression there. But man, I got up one night to preach and I was in the prayer room and God said, I don't want you preaching to people tonight. Preach to empty pews. Now I've heard God say but it's a whole lot harder to do. So I did. I took my text. I told the church I'm not preaching. I'm going to preach these empty pews. Man, I got to preach it. I preach the Holy Ghost on them pews. I preach to them pews. You're going to be full. You're going to be full of drug addicts. And you're going to be full of dope addicts. And you're going to be full of alcoholics. And you're going to be full of doctors and lawyers. And you're going to be full. And you're going to be full. And you're not going to reject them. And you're going to. Man, I just preached and all of a sudden, in three years, I went from 50 to over 300. Because sometimes you've got to be able to preach to more than just people. You just keep on preaching. And the gate opens up little by little. Won't you stand with me right now? How many in this house, won't you close your eyes? How many in this house knows the will of God for your life? Raise your hand. If you know it. How many in this house keeps on walking toward the will of God, but you only get so far and the devil says you can't go beyond this because of, how many's ever done that? Look at these hands. We've got the will of God stuck behind an iron gate. Stuck. I pray an angel would come along. And I pray an angel would smite us and wake us up. 
And when we get up, I pray chains would fall off of us. And I pray we would just keep on walking. Won't you lift your hands across this place? Your miracle's on the other side of the iron gate. If you could just keep on walking. Musician says, play your way out. The singer says, sing your way out. But God says, won't you just walk your way out? Every hand in the air one more time. Won't you start stepping out of that chair? And you may step beyond that iron gate before you even get to this altar. are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Just to walk with him means everything to me. Just to know. 